This is Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network in conjunction with the Sampson Family Foundation, striving to uplift, empower, and educate the communities we live in. Now here's Ralph and your host, Mac McDonald. Welcome in, Center Court, Winner's Circle Network, and a special week, special show. Ralph Sampson is here, of course, his name all over the, uh, all over the show as it should be. Ralph, I'm going to just pose the question. The 80s. Is it the greatest decade in NBA history? Yeah, Mac, I, I mean, I think it is because the NBA in the 70s were kind of dwindling down and not uh, doing well financially. And some teams were getting ready to go to business. You got the emergence of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. Uh, that catapulted everything. Julius Irving came over from the ABA to the NBA. So it became, you know, the, 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 the foundation footprint was there, ready to go to make the 80s the best, you know, I think in NBA history. So would you put it all on Magic and Bird and especially coming off the 79 NCAA championship? Well, you know, that, that had a lot of hype. You know, everybody has to understand out there, right? So what makes the hype because the Lakers and Boston over the years were the two iconic teams with Chamberlain and Russell, Elgin Bailey, Jerry West, Havlicek. So those were the two iconic teams even a long time ago, right? Right. And they had to bring that back. So why does Bird go to Boston and Magic go to L.A.? I mean, some things were meant to be, they say, but I think Mac, there was a fix, a fix going on right there to make that work. So <laughs> they needed those two teams to, to make it work. That's what they got, and then the rest is history. So if I said to you, here is the all-decade team, five guys, and this came from, uh, I think it came from AP Sports, Magic, Jordan, Irving, Malone, Larry Bird. Any problems with that starting five? No, depending on who you put in, you know, classify the 80s. I mean, you still got Kareem in the 80s. Yeah. You still got uh, my counterpart, Twin Tower, Akeem Olajuwon in the Correct. 80s. I mean, Carbon Lone is great as a power forward, but, I mean, uh, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, any of those guys didn't want any part of, of Akeem Olajuwon. The rivalry between Magic and Bird, I think, and then having Julius Irving, because everybody looked at Julius Irving that wanted to fly through the air and dunk the basketball. He started all this <laughs> Michael Jordan stuff, LeBron James stuff. So it went from Elgin Baylor, Connie Hawkins to Julius Irving, Julius Irving, that to, you know, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, and although Larry Bird couldn't jump, and just the mm -hmm. way it works, mm -hmm. to, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant to LeBron James. And there'll be something else out there. It'll be the next evolution of, I call the greatest of all time, you know, uh, the Bill Russell and, and the Julius Irving format. Somebody else will be next. When LeBron retires, there'll be another one coming along. All right. We'll go to break. When we come back, Isaiah Thomas breaks down his team. Also, Draymond Green saying, wait, I'm not sure those guys in the 80s were all that good. Ralph may differ. Yeah. This is Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. During Ralph Sampson's Hall of Fame career, he always believed dedication and teamwork were the two main ingredients for success. Now, with the opening of his restaurant in Charlottesville, the American Tap Room is proving 
Great food can happen in an upscale sports bar atmosphere. Ralph Sampson's American Tap Room features local eats, local brews, and traditional favorites like burgers, wings, steaks, and seafood. You'll love the lobster mac and cheese and the Bourbon Street pasta. There's even a Coach Bennett ribeye. The tap room is now open for lunch from 11 to 4 and the staff serves dinner from 4 to 10. Reservations are accepted, and you can book parties up to 150 people. Contact General Manager Martin Welch at 434-422-8093. Ralph Sampson's American Tap Room, a hometown bar and grill, brought to you by a hometown hero. I remember him, he was cursing under his breath. And I asked him, I said, Larry, what's going on with you? He says, you guys are being disrespectful to me. And I says, what are you talking about? He says, you guys are putting a white guy on me. <laughs> That's disrespectful. He says, it's disrespectful when y'all put a white guy on me. And I'm sitting there like, I'm laughing in the middle of a game. Building a game plan for life. It's basketball and beyond. We return to center court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Welcome back, Center Court, Winter Circle Network. And this week with uh, you know, the NBA playoffs and Golden State and the Celtics raging on in that battle, we decided to tackle the 80s. Is it the greatest decade in the NBA? And, of course, one guy who would know that would be Ralph Sampson. All right, Draymond Green in a press conference. And, Ralph, I'm going to let you listen to the clip. He said that when talking about the 80s, he's not so sure that the guys who played in the 80s, and as you said, we're talking about the Gervins and the Moncriefs and the Dominic Wilkins, and we can go on and on. He's not sure the guys in the 80s, and of course with Lambeer and uh, uh, Mahorn, he's not sure that the 80s was the greatest decade. Listen. One thing that baffles me about the 80s or the 90s or whatever you want to call when basketball was so much more physical is some of the guys that be talking weren't the guys that was punching people. You know, like <laughs> like they, they, they act like, you know, guys was just walking around the court like I'm, hit, I'm hitting this guy in the nose. There were a few guys back then that would lay you out, that would knock you out, that would foul you and get thrown out the game, Bill Lambeer, Rick Mahorn. But everybody running around acting like they were that. Y'all were getting bullied. Like, and so it baffles me when every guy, just because they played in the 80s, uh, just because they played in the 90s, is like, man, if you played in our day, you get knocked out. Draymond Green at Golden State. Ralph? Is he is he on target well, or not? <laughs> I mean, I, I love I, I love Draymond's, Draymond's game. I think he he's a, a key part to the Golden State Warriors' success. But he needs to go back and look at some more videotapes of the eighties because he <laughs> wasn't he wasn't even born. He wasn't even born at that point in time. He was a pebble, you know. He was born and then he didn't see it. He didn't go back and look, look at videotapes. So, I mean, in the eighties because of the structure of the game of basketball. Where you had to run plays and so you you couldn't go down and just shoot three pointers. Right. All the hand checking, all the stuff was made because of the eighties. All this, you know, uh, really very light playing basketball that they play right now. And they get they want the tough guy. He and the other night he tried to pull some some guy's pants down, you know, on, on court because <laughs> he wanted to be physical, and then that's okay. But you know, they they might wouldn't have been able to play. You know, I, again, I love his game. He would not have been to play when we played. Right. I mean, yeah. he'd, he'd have been the last man on a, on a, on a good team, you know. Uh, I mean, think about that. We had Craig Elo in Houston mm -hmm. that couldn't get in the game. He gets traded to uh, Cleveland, plays, and then Michael Jordan charges tor him for the shots in the playoffs. So, but that was Craig Elo, and he was a tough, tough, tough guy. I love Craig Elo. 
But then, my, you know, he can say what he wish. Well, I think he needs to go back and look at some more videotape. Well, we had, and we're going to talk about your 86 team, too, that that knocked off the Lakers and the dominance. And then when you guys got into playoffs, of course, you lost to the Celtics that year. But, boy, uh, the way you got there was pretty dramatic. All right, a guy we had on the show uh, a while back and a guy that you that you love and 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 you respect, and, and I do, too. And I, I really thought the world of Isaiah Thomas for a long time. Isaiah Thomas was asked if he were to break down his – his players of the 80s, and we probably know this list, who would they be? Here's Isaiah Thomas. So I'm going Magic at the one, Jordan at the two, Bird, J, Dr. J at three and four, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the five. Those are my five players of the 80s. Oh, he's definitely spot on. I mean, he didn't, he didn't, and he didn't include himself, which is amazing <laughs> that he didn't do that. But right. you can't go wrong with Magic or Bird. No, the three and the four. Julius and Bird's kind of the same position, so that would be the iffy part, but you have to pick one or two, that's fine. And then you can't go wrong with Kareem and the Scott Hook. So I think that's the um, the best of the 80s, definitely for sure. Uh, I mean, Akeem and that crew, they got really good in the 90s. But uh, Isaiah, you know, he, I respect his picks for sure. All right, if we were to start with the top 15, and this came from a website called uh, The Grueling Truth, not that any website or every website, I just happened to fall uh, uh, upon this top 15 list that I thought was pretty good. And we'll kind of, I want to tick down some of the guys. Adrian Dantley of score, maybe not the best on defense. Adrian was pretty good, though, right, Stitt? He was good. He was an undersized small forward. Uh, Mike, I played with Adrian in one all-star game. Mm-hmm. And it was either you got a guard – we had the same lineup. We had the lineup with Bird and Magic and Julius. I mean, Magic was on my side, but but Bird and Julius was on the same team. Right. So we could come out of the huddle, getting ready to do the starting five on each team, and and and, and Adrian was starting. He says, uh, "You got to take Julius." I said, "Why well, got to take Julius? You take Julius, <laughs> and I'll take Larry." He said, "I can't guard Julius. I can't guard Julius. I'm too small." So I took Julius Irving, and he took Larry Bird. But it was an undersized. Small forward, he could score. He was low to the ground. He had a, a great uh, understanding of the game, and he he was a journeyman. He was in the right situation with Utah, and uh, he played played his heart out. All right, another player I want to mention before Isaiah talks about Magic, and uh, as I said, we're going to break down Bird and Jordan and uh, a couple of the other guys. Alex English averaged twenty six points per game during the decade, and of course, the Nuggets were a fast paced team at the time. But I always liked Alex English every time I watched him play. Yeah, we called him Flick uh, because he could <laughs> take the ball and throw it up and get in the basket at any given time. But their offense was so much running and jumping and mm-hmm. the altitude endeavor. He, Kiki Vanderway, Mike, uh, Wayne Cooper, Dan Issel. I mean, all those guys would just make you run. T.R. Dunn, the favorite player of mine, played defense. And Alex, Alex is a great, great guy. And, uh, but he could score. I yeah. mean, University of South Carolina, uh, heart and soul of, of, of the NBA Denver Nuggets team. But he would score. And, the, and he and Kiki, Mac, he and Kiki would comp- compete against each other because Kiki would have 24-25 and, and, and Alex would have 24-25. That was the horses of the NBA. They could have played today, for sure. They yeah. could have played today's game. How good was, and I know this guy won a couple of scoring titles, how good was George Gervin? Oh my gosh! Because obviously they called him Iceman. Right. And George was so smooth and cool, an old school guy. 
and he would want to call it the finger roll. Uh, uh, Will Chandler created that, but Ice would give you 40 in the first half. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, but then well, that, he had he, he had him, Artis Gilmore, which is the strongest human being on earth. Uh, and and they, they had a uh, Ed, Ed Jones, they had a calf to carry. They should have won a couple of championships, but I don't think they had the right point guard. But he was phenomenal. They had a poster with Nike, and he's sitting on a block of ice. That's what that's how cool he was. <laughs> Remember that. All right, one player I want to mention, but before you get back to Isaiah, uh, Sidney Modcrief was just he was probably one of the most underrated players in NBA history, wasn't he? The way he could play, I, I would, yeah, so, yeah, you know, Arkansas, I would say so. I mean, Sidney was. I mean, he could score. He knew how to play defense. He played with the big, God bless his soul, his pathway in the last couple weeks, Bob Lanier. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Junior Bridgman was on that, on that team. Marcus Johnson was on that team. They had a good good cast of characters on the team, but Mike Priest was the, the, the catalyst on that team. And he played his heart out. He could play every position almost. All right, I want to talk about magic. We're kind of just skipping around here. We'll get to Dominic and Akeem and, and all these guys that, that made up the 80s. Uh, Isaiah Thomas appreciated magic a lot as is, you know, you, and I mean, everybody in the world, I think respected magic for, uh, the way he played, but Ralph did magic change really the game from the point guard position at six, eight. And the fact that he could play center as well. Well, Mark, I think he revolutionized the point guards point guard area for a big six foot five and over, mm -hmm. uh, he's six, nine, he could play, he could post up. I mean, he won the NBA championship in his uh, rookie season when Kareem didn't play. He got a he had his headache or he had an injury, and Magic played center. He jumped ball at mm -hmm. center uh, in Philadelphia, and so um, he revolutionized. Just like Steph Curry is doing it today, Magic did it back then. And being the fact that Magic was six nine, I think he would be he he was actually could be better than Steph Curry from an all-around game, because Steph Curry's not going to post anybody up, Magic is, but they don't have post-up games now like they did back in those days. But I think it's right. Magic Magic definitely revolutionized the game. But he also, with his smile, revolutionized the excitement <laughs> of the NBA. I mean, he would, he would see all, you know, 32 pearly whites. He would just smile. And, you know, the room would just kind of open up. And, I mean, that realistically, from a marketing perspective, you ever watch the uh, – L.A. Laker documentary. Magic was the one who really got the NBA on fire. Yeah. All right. Good point. Well, here's Isaiah Thomas talking about the magic of one Irvin Johnson. I would think in, the, in this game today, the way it's coached and the way the centers are at 6'8", 6'9", Magic Johnson now would revolutionize the center position and be something totally different that we've never seen before other than the point guard position that he revolutionized. So at the point guard position, he, he was the standard. And I think in this era, he would be the standard at the center position, not the point guard position. He would be the standard now at center at six, eight playing the, he could play the position, couldn't he? I mean, but think about it. He, he's a, a Damon Green style of player, mm -hmm. but, but, but a hundred times better. You know, he could play every position. Damon, I mean, doesn't have a post-up game. He will rebound, dribble up, pass to Steph Curry. He can shoot a three sometimes. He's not going to post anybody up and score. Magic's going to post you up and score. He's going to shoot a three. He's going to bring the ball to court. He's going to get everybody involved. He's going to make them no-look passes to anybody that's open. And he would just, I'm sure, I mean, we always say it, we would just love to play in today's game because it's much more freer right. than when we play. 
He couldn't guard me or anybody else. And he just knocking down shots. I walked out of that practice that day, the first black person I could get to, I said, you know what? That white guy can play. <laughs> and, and, that, and, and that was it. You're listening to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. Center Court is presented by the Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. Welcome back, Center Court on the Winner's Circle Network. The NBA, the 80s, the greatest decade ever. Ralph and I are discussing and breaking down some of the players and some of the events. And uh, we're going to talk about Larry Bird, of course, uh, a little conversation about some some guy named Michael Jordan. We'll uh, We'll get to that as well. But if there was one year that Ralph will remember was the 85-86 Houston Rockets team after Ralph was drafted. It's a play that Ralph has relived time and time again. But let's set it up and let Ralph talk about what happened as the Rockets got the game tied before they had a stop on defense in the closing seconds and getting ready to wrap up the Western Conference Series and dominate and end the Lakers' dominance when it was four games to one, I think. was But anyway... Let's go through this sequence. If they shoot quick enough, and they probably will, they'll get another possession. Level into the corner to Reed. Reed, long range for three, misses. Knocked away, Wickens has it, a new clock. Four-second differential between what you see and the 24-second clock. It's a three-point game. Lakers coming out to meet the Rockets defensively. Reed again. Hunter hits a three-point shot to tie the game at 112. Robert Reed tied it up. Now, Mike, you gotta understand Robert Reed was a forward, mm-hmm. small forward. We had to put him at point forward because of the shenanigans going on with our guards that year. <laughs> we lost a few people in, in the mix of the season. Yeah. So Robert and Rodney McCray played point forward. We were shorthanded throughout the season in the playoffs, especially, but we band together as a group and obviously got to the finals of the NBA. Right. And the fact you were leading 3-1, you don't want to give the Lakers any breathing room. This is a game of the form. It's a big, you know, it's a certainly a big game. Well, after the tie, the Rockets get the stop. Now they go up to Kareem. Their money man, Cooper. Scott, it's Scott. This is level with one second to go, calls time. Yeah, so the rebound and... Now it sets up the dramatics, correct? And, you know, you're, going to, you're going to the captain and try to get a good shot in, and Scott Hook and Michael Cooper there to play great defense, as you can hear, and just the whole group. It was exciting to hear. I mean, you almost can't hear uh, Stockton speak because the uh, L.A. form was oh, you know, yeah. electric. It was it was crazy, and that's the best place to play to me, you know, especially with the Lakers in there. Did you guys execute the play that was called? We did. You know, back in that day, the coach would drop something. Mm-hmm. Everybody, would, everybody would have to do their job. And um, we, we drew it up. The crazy part about it was that Kareem played behind me instead of in front of me. He should have fronted me. I would have fronted him, and they would have to throw it up over, and they would never got the shot or the ball. Uh, but I think, guess he was uh, thought he could. And then you see the shot, and you see the picture of it. His hands are down. Uh-huh. As Mark Jackson says, hand down, man down. So I was able to get my shot up, and luckily uh, had a good bounce. Yeah, here it is. Ralph's game winner. One second.
It was less than one second, but you know, my good friend, uh, he was a, I was number one pick, he was number three. Rodney McCray, we played Louisville, Mac, you remember, mm-hmm. at University Hall. We played him down in uh, Louisville as well, but good friend of mine. He said it wasn't a shot, but it was his pass. And I, <laughs> I'll, I'll give him assist, I'll give him credit for that, but it, it was that because, you know, we, Akeem Olajuwon got thrown out of that game. You know, we had an altercation in the fight, the whole deal in that game. And, you know, he got thrown out. We all had to pick up the pace. Myself, Rodney, Robert Reed, everybody had to pick up the pace. So we did, and then I always tell Magic, even today, like, you know, it, it was 3-1. Mm-hmm. It could have been 3-2, you could have went back to Houston. We was going to win at home anyway. Yeah. You know, one way or another, we was going back home. If we lost that game, we was going home for a game. We didn't. We wasn't going to come back out of Houston without a win. We didn't fail. So we just kind of help you guys not have to pack your clothes and take another plane trip. Right. You know, and that's really what, when I teach them about that, he said, yeah, right, but he'll always come back and say, Oh yeah, but you motivated us for the next two years. We won back-to-back championships the next two years because we were mad at you. So I'm like, okay, great. We'll give you that. We'll give you that. All right. Well, it sets up your series with the Celtics, and and I know you have a picture in your wall in your office of of you and Bird. How did you get along with Larry Bird? And did he talk the trash that everybody says that he did? Yes and yes. I mean, trash talker Larry, for sure. Um, when we played in that series, um, Robert Reed always had to guard Larry or Rodney McCray had to guard Larry. And they knew it was going to be a, a nightmare every night you played Larry. And uh, they would try to beat him to the arena, especially in Boston. Mm-hmm. Now, he would get to the arena two or three hours before the game, shoot, rest, relax, get his head right, whatever. We sent a guy over there, Robert or, or Rodney, they go over and they never could beat Larry to the arena. Ever, <laughs> and so even at even at home, he would go early. But uh, that that the whole series was exciting, going in, winning against the Lakers, and having a chance to to, to play against Boston. But Larry talked noise, uh, you know, you know, take this, and I'm I'm gonna take you to the hoop and drop you out, and wouldn't smile at all. Right, uh, and he would do what he said he's gonna do. Yeah, what was it he said? I'm gonna be. He says this shot's going in. Uh, and then off the trainer, I think, when he fell into right, the bench. Right, right. Know. Off the trainer, off the day. Absolutely. Well, the but story. I mean, no, I was just going to say the stories of Larry Bird are legendary. Nolan Richardson tells a great one when he, during his Hall of Fame speech, uh, the great Arkansas coach, and he talked about uh, the first time that he ever heard about one Larry Bird. And I'm listening to the radio, and I have no clue of the players on either team. All of a sudden, this name keeps coming Bird. He goes to the right, Bird. He makes the right, Bird. Damn, who's Bird? Bird, Bird. You know, here's Bird. And Bird this and, and Bird. Oh, did you see the pass that Bird made? I can't see it, but I'm just trying to imagine it. And I, I, when the time I got to the end, I said, damn, that brother can play. <laughs> when I got the newspaper, the next morning and saw Larry's picture, I said, damn. <laughs> Larry, they wasn't you, you, you know, be honest with you. The young lady that say you were her favorite player, mine too. I love you too, Magic, but not as much as I like Bird. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan Richardson from his, his Hall of Fame speech. And, you know, I think uh, just because of the way the NBA was positioned, Ralph, and the way people, he was he was a mystique, right? He was people just didn't think Larry Bird was that good, correct? They didn't. I mean, you know, he thought he was you know slow, couldn't jump. Um, 
you know, and 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 just couldn't be effective at the NBA level, especially after Magic and he played in the NCAA Final Four, and Magic right. kind of toasted him a little bit there, getting the ball down the court. But no one saw that earlier. But you can see it if you look back at it. You can see it, you know, evolving. Magic knew it as well. Magic was an assassin in his own right, but you knew what Magic could do. Right. Bird, you know, he could cut your heart out mm-hmm. and uh, and talk noise to you and, and eat your heart while he's on the floor <laughs> and tell you what door he's going to run you out of. And and then never smile, n- never, you know, never had any emotion because he was focused on what he was doing. One of your good friends, Cedric Maxwell, with a great story about Larry Bird and the first time that he saw him play. I'm sitting there playing Larry my first game ever, and I was like everybody else. Larry comes on. I'm averaging 19 points a game before Larry gets on the team. So I'm in the arena. Larry comes into our practice facility. I give him the slow clap. Here he comes. Great white hope. I'm getting guarding this dude, man, from about 15 feet away. He knocks down the jump shot. Now, I'm working him on the offensive end because, you know, he can't. He couldn't guard me or anybody else. And he just knocking down shots. I walked out of that practice that day, the first black person I could get to. I said, you know what? That white guy can play. <laughs> and that, and that was it. <laughs> That's, you know, that was, I think, the opinion of a lot. But, boy, there was a lot of respect there, too. I mean, just a, a ton of respect. And, uh, and, and and speaking of respect, Charles Barkley tells one great story about, well, Larry Bird and, as Ralph was saying, the noise that he would talk. I remember him, he was cursing under his breath. And I asked him, I said, Larry, what's going on with you? He says, you guys are being disrespectful to me. And I says, what are you talking about? He says, you guys are putting a white guy on me. <laughs> That's disrespectful. He says, it's disrespectful when y'all put a white guy on me. And I'm sitting there like, I'm laughing in the middle of a game. <laughs> you got a white guy on me. What is this? <laughs> you know, Larry, that was I mean, you know, Larry Bird. You, had, you know, Charles, Charles Barkley in the 76ers and there's other guys that could play defense, whatever. And then Larry, mm-hmm. Larry would feast on anybody he thought that couldn't play. Him. And that right. was pretty much everybody. He knew Julius Irving. He knew Magic and that crew. Michael Cooper. I mean, Michael Cooper loved to play against Larry Bird. But Larry knew that Michael was going to play his A game. Yeah. James Worthy was going to play his A game. So we had to bring his A game. But when you disrespect Larry, he's going to torture you. I mean, that's what he was talking about with Charles saying, you can put a, a Caucasian guy on me. I'm going to give him the blues. <laughs> that's what he was basically saying. Did uh, did Bird respect you? And could, did you did you feel that during like, your career and the way he talked to you? Or, uh, you know, what what would he say to you and in, in during the confrontation? Yeah, I'm unfortunate. We 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 played uh, only twice a year because we mm-hmm. were in the West and he was in the East. Right. But I got I got injured um, in Boston. Uh, I was playing having a really good game and I fell on my left side and I had to be taken off uh, in a stretcher. And uh, I respected Larry, you know, obviously from a player, but he came back actually during the halftime before I went to the hospital and said, ask, ask me, was I okay? And so, you know, you knew kind of his uh, emotion and his respect of the game and also as a player, but I, I always, always respected that. Yeah. All right. Before we go to break, a couple of other uh, players I want to mention for the eighties. And of course I'm saving the last segment for, for one, Michael Jordan, uh, Kevin McHale, James Worthy, Julius Irving, they were in the, uh, this website's top 15 for sure. McHale was a high product, a high energy guy, uh, a player that probably transformed the history of the Celtics. James Worthy from Carolina to his professional career. He was a beast, right? 
inside? Uh, absolutely. We'll get with him for sure in a minute. But yeah, he's James is one of my all-time favorites. And then Julius Irving. When Irving, of course, making the switch, uh, but he became an NBA MVP right away, an eight-time NBA All-Star coming out of the of the ABA. Was there anyone maybe more physically gifted than Julius Irving? You know, not coming out at that point in time. Everybody had to understand there was no weightlifting. There was no, none of that in the game of basketball mm-hmm. at, that, at that stage. So Joy was gifted just physically. And he could jump out of the gym. He, he had big hands. He could fly through the air. And I don't think anybody is even as gifted as, as he was, even at the stage of life, because of the way he could play. He, he had a fierce attack. I mean, you go back and look at some of the dunks he had on, on Bill Walton. I mean, LeBron James couldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about six, seven, dunking on a seven-footer, and it was Bill Walton, another Hall of Famer. That, that, that wasn't happening, and, and it couldn't happen today at all. Usually that tongue come about right here, and now it's way out. <laughs> <laughs> he broke the huddle. He hit a three, and he's looking at me. <laughs> so he came down again, hit another three. Michael Jordan is so... Incredible. Well, There'll never should, be. The moral is you should not talk trash to Michael Jordan. Yeah. The Winner's Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation present Center Court with Ralph Sampson. Uplift, empower, educate. Welcome back, Center Court, Winner's Circle Network. Ralph Sampson, Mac McDonald, great to have you in uh, the 80s, the greatest decade in the NBA. I, I put a question mark there, but I think we can probably answer it. When we were looking at the top 15, Ralph, and we mentioned Moses Malone. You mentioned Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for sure. On this list that I had, they they had Michael at number six, which I think was a little low as far as the top 15. To this day, any any better player than Michael Jordan in your mind? Well, you know, you got to say what is better and what is, what's best out there. If, it, if it's the number of championships, is it the physical attribute, is it the points of rebound scoring? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people out there from, you know, LeBron or Kareem that got more points than Michael. I'm sure there's people that got more assists than Michael. There are people out there that's got more championships than Michael. You know, Bill Walton, I mean, uh, Bill Russell is one. Robert Dory is another. So depending on what you are comparing him to. Now, I will say, you know, how do you, uh, and people always ask this question. LeBron, can he like Michael, you know, Kobe Bryant? I think the thing that was really the key was Michael's tenacious mindset to be great. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody else that I know of, except for maybe Bill Russell, that had that will to win. And I think if you separate everybody else out there, we all had a will to win, but Michael could turn it up, and he knew he could turn it up at a certain point in time, but he also knew he had to cast a character around him. Now, everybody has to understand, when he first got in the league, he, he would play Boston and Larry and those guys and score 60 and still lose. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Larry and them were like, well, come on, young fella, come on, let's just wear you out. You ain't got, you know, this just you. You score 60, play your heart out. But when he started to figure out the game with Phil Jackson and the triangle offense, mm-hmm. and understand I got a Scotty Pippen over here. I got a Dennis Robin over here. I got a uh, Bill Cartwright over here. I got the pieces, you know, that, that are good. Now, he, he played with Scotty Pippen, okay? Probably the next best player in the league at that point in time. Right. And those two carried that team. I mean, he had no other Hall of Famers on that team except for those two, but he had a will to win and that will start to build every year because he, he wanted to be great. He wanted to be good. And that's kind of went over into Kobe Bryant as well. He taught Kobe Bryant that same will. Uh, and, and, and if you hear the uh, speeches, 
you know, in Kobe's uh, funeral service when Michael said, you know, hey, Kobe called me at two o'clock in the morning. Hey, hey, hey man, look, how do I do this? How do I do that? And yeah. He was emulating Michael Jordan. Michael's will to win, I think, is much more stronger than anybody that has ever played the game. Yeah, competitive at everything he's done. Well, if the, you know, we talked about Bird being a trash talker. According to some of the guys who played against him, like Magic Johnson, there was no better trash talker, talker than Michael Jordan. First ever time ever talking trash. So we're with the dream team. Uh, for three days in a row, we had came into a tie because what Coach Daly did, he split the team up east versus west. So Barkley, Jordan, Larry Bird, Pippen, uh, and Patrick Ewing all played in the east. And then we had the west guys, myself, David Robinson, Malone, uh, Mullen, uh, Drexler, and so, and John Stockton. So we would play every day, tie. So this is the fourth day. And we got out on him about 12 to 2. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really rattle his chain. So I went <laughs> over there, tapped him on the shoulder, said, hey, man, if you don't turn into Air Jordan, we're going to blow you out today. <laughs> his eyes got big. <laughs> Usually that tongue come about right here. Now it's way out. <laughs> he broke the huddle. He hit a three, and he's looking at me. <laughs> so he came down again, hit another three. Michael Jordan is so incredible well, there'll never should, be the moral is you should not talk trash to michael jordan yeah. <laughs> and that probably is a pretty good uh, rule to stand by and ralph what was it with the jordan tongue you talk about an I iconic move uh jordan just had that that tongue would wag wouldn't it it would wag I, maybe maybe that's a, the, the sign that says he was in, in motion and in gear and wanted to kick the tail <laughs> i don't know but he had that in college as well i mean we yeah. played against him in college yeah. he had that in college and he knew he had to I mean, I remember him stealing the ball from either Othell, Ricky, and mid midcourt down in Carmichael. Yeah. They, need, they needed something to happen. And we maybe did a reverse dribble or something. He stole the ball and went down and had one of his iconic dunks in college. But again, that will to win, as Magic just said, I think he had that will and he could turn it on at any given time. Right. Well, here's another great story from Reggie Miller, one of the great shooters uh, in the NBA. And when he had a chance as a rookie, to go up against number 23. Oh, oh. Yeah. I'm a wide-eyed, energetic rookie. And we're playing this exhibition game, and Michael's going through the motion. And Chuck Person, who's on my team, who's a trash talker as well, is like, can you believe Michael Jordan, the guy everyone's talking about, who's supposed to be able to walk on water? You're out here killing him, Reg. This is in the first half. He's <laughs> like, you should be talking to him. He's like, you know, you're right. Michael, who do you think you are? <laughs> the great Michael Jordan? That's right. There's a new kid on town, right? Kind of looks at me and starts shaking his head. So at half, I have 10, and he has four points, right? And I'm doing all this talking. He's like, OK. End of the, end of the game in the second half, he ended up with 44. <laughs> And I ended up with 12. <laughs> so he outscored me 40 to 2. And as he's walking off, he's like, be sure and be careful. You never talk to black Jesus like that. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, black Jesus. I think if I remember right, that Black Jesus moniker stuck for a little while, right? I think it stuck I, for a while. <laughs> but of all people, Reg, Reggie, I mean, he became a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. A great iconic shooter. But, you know, he came in as a rookie. Uh -huh. You ain't going to come in, again, there's that spirit Michael has. You ain't going to come in as a rookie and talk trash at halftime. <laughs> they used to talk to after the game was over. But and, but if you did after the game, you beat him. The next game, he was going to drill you anyway. But you talk at yeah. halftime. So he went back in the locker room. 
drank some Gatorade or whatever town or whatever. I said, I'm going to get ready to kill this young fellow. So <laughs> it, it just made, that just made it worse. Ralph, you mentioned the triangle offense, which, uh, you know, for the casual basketball, uh, you know, I, I couldn't draw it up on a, on a whiteboard. But as far as the triangle offense, how did it work? If you could break it down uh, in X's and O's, how, how did that work for Michael? Why did it work for Michael? Well, you know, typically, Mike, there was something called UCLA offense, mm -hmm. where John Wooden had created UCLA offense. You pass, you pick down, you pick over. And a lot of teams, I mean, I mean, I still remember that all, all the plays we had in Houston and then where I played with UCLA offense. But <clears throat> Phil Jackson had this triangle thing in his mind. It's somewhat like UCLA, but it's more of a low post offense. And you just, you cut, you play, you pick, you roll. Uh, everybody had the position to be in within that offense. Think about it as like, you know, Tony Bennett and the pack line defense. Mm -hmm. You had to be in a certain spot at a certain time. Same thing with the triangle offense. But then if Scotty or Michael had what we called a, a, a church house mouse, somebody small in the, in, in the post, I would they would put him in the post. And they would run a play where they got this guy in the post. If somebody switched off, they knew the switches to get somebody in position they wanted to have and play and be competitive and have a shot. Now think about Steve Kerr was and John Paxson was in the corner always. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to bring the ball to the court every now and then. They'd be parked in the corner and sit there and shoot a baseline three or baseline two while Michael got the, um, the, the double team and they kicked the ball once, twice, and you opened in the corner. And Steve Kerr made a living on that, right? Yeah. And John Paxson did as well. So it became iconic because when uh, the other coaches that coached Chicago and Michael and Scotty before uh, Phil Jackson got there, they let them run around, do the thing, and Michael scored 60, but they couldn't win. Mm -hmm. Now they could win with an offense, but also then they started to play defense. And yeah. when they started to play defense, that's when they won championships. Yeah. Um, and, and really, probably, I don't know how many defensive players of the year that, that uh, he won. I think uh, somewhere in the 87, 88 area, uh, Michael was NBA defensive player of the year. And, um, but his dominance in the decade, and of course, just in the way he controlled the 90s as well, uh, once he got back into basketball, I mean, winning the championships. I mean, Michael Jordan, truly one of the great players ever in the NBA. Final story, we'll let you hear it. Byron Scott, when he walked into an arena and had his interaction with Michael Jordan. They're getting off the bus. We're done with shoot around and we're walking out and MJ says, B. Scott, what's going on? I said, what's up, MJ? He said, man, I, I hear that you're not playing tonight. I said, no, I'll spring my ankle. He said, who's guarding me? I said, Anthony Peeler. He said, oh, 50. <laughs> <laughs> So I told Anthony Peeler, listen, um, MJ, uh, he's, he's probably going to go for about 50 tonight on you. So just, <laughs> you know, just be cool. He, en he ended up with 54. <laughs> well, the first thing B. Scott should have said, uh, I might be playing whatever to give him a chance. Yeah, But exactly. he said, I'm not playing. He said, who's he guarding? And, and, and Peeler was a good player, but Mike was going to laugh at that for sure because he wasn't a top-notch NBA Hall of Fame player. And Michael went out and knew he, he was – Think about it, shoot around at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and one. Michael was chomping at the bit all day long to get to the game to score 50 on this dude. Yeah. And that's what he did, he scored 54. So, uh, you know, and, and, and like, it's only a couple of players that can say, I'm going to get 50 tonight and right. go and do it. And, and Michael's one of the only ones that could do that. Yeah. And as, as much as we're enjoying watching the, the Jason Tatums of the world, the Stephen Curry's, Draymond Greens of the world, the Clay Thompson's of the world. And when we look back, and I think if we talk about the 80s and it being the greatest decade in the NBA, yeah, it's uh, it's sports talk fodder. Yes, it's a debate over an iced tea. 
but it certainly has all the indications when we all the players we just talked about. I, I think the 80s was a pretty, pretty strong decade stick. So you should be it, proud you were part of that history. I'm, I'm definitely proud of it. But the, the thing was, so you take a Steph Curry to Michael. Michael could run and jump and dunk and go in the post and have a mid-range game. Steph Curry had the mid-range game to some extent, but his game is the three-pointer. If his three-pointer right. is off, he, he's not going to go in and say, I'm going to get 50 on somebody because I think the game has changed. That If his shot's on, you know, like the first game of the NBA final, he had 21 in the first half. Yeah. And then they lose the game because he couldn't score the rest, the rest of the game that much because maybe he was wore out. Yeah. Michael could turn it on, score three, score two, get a dunk, post up somebody, and knew the game to where he could get 50 when he wanted to get 50 if he wanted to do that. The only yeah. other person I know could get 50 in the game and I night talk noise was Will Chamberlain. <laughs> Will Chamberlain averaged 50 points a game. Average yeah. 50 and 20. Yeah, yeah. And they were and, all layups. And, and blocks weren't even a stat when he played. So I wasn't even a stat. wasn't even a stat. <laughs> all right, more with Ralph Sampson. This is Center Court and the Winter Circle Network. We'll be right back after this. To get into sports casting, you need experience just to get your foot in the door. I can't tell you how many times in my career somebody will ask me, how do I get into your business? How do I become a sportscaster? The first thing I ask is, what have you done? Do you have any experience? And the answer is normally nothing yet. It's because they couldn't find a program that provided the real world experience that you need to get started. So I set out to create a program designed for the next wave of sportscasting talent. And my partner was an obvious one, Full Sail University. Great track record in entertainment and media, great alumni group, and the ability to evolve as the industry changes. We're offering a bachelor's degree that combines the professional expertise that my fellow sportscasters and I have built our careers on with the technologies shaping the world of sports. To succeed in this business, you have to be ready for what's next. But the core of great sportscasting I don't think will ever change. And this program brings it all together. Welcome back, Center Court, Winter Circle Network, and uh, Mac McDonald, Ralph Sampson. Great to talk about the, the greatest decade in the NBA, the 80s. And with all that, if you want to be a great player, I think uh, Ralph's got a couple of you, – you got a pretty busy summer, right? You've got this restaurant thing going on, and uh, you're reuniting with uh, Massanutten, right? Yeah, we had a good good time last year at Massanutten. After you know, the pandemic, we finally got our camps back in order this mm -hmm. year, back at Massanutten starting June the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, and subsequently weeks after that. Everybody can go to massanuttonresort.com and, and check it out. But <clears throat> it's fun to get back on the court with kids. And, Mike, I was at an event you know, not too long ago, and this kid comes up to me and says, ah, you remember me? I said, you look familiar, but I didn't recognize him totally right. because he had grown some. Well, I was at your camp in Mathnutton, and I used some of the things you taught me, and I got better. We won our, our regional championship. Okay, great. Right. So the kids coming back, hopefully. But, yeah, we'll do it again this year. I love Mathnutton, what we do up there. It's a big, great time. We got the water park and golf, and everything up there is pretty fun. So you guys come on out. Yeah, that's a great that's a great association, and I would think, you, you, you know, awfully – Awfully proud to be able to do that. And your camps have been such a success. And Ralph, with watching the videos that we watched last year and talking about your camps, you do such a great job of breaking down the simple fundamentals of, of, of footwork, of just the jump shot itself. I mean, you do a wonderful job with breaking down the simple fundamentals. And I know that's kind of your goal in working with, you know, kids of, of that age group. 
Yeah, it is the goal. I mean, Mike, it's, it's just the evolution of what I've been taught from Coach Roger Berge. I can recall going to a basketball camp at the University of Kentucky mm -hmm. with Red Arback. Um, went to BC camp. So all the stuff that I learned over the years, I just can reflect back on that and teach the kids the same way and then add my twist to it and today's world. And it's been fun to do that. All right, real quick, before we say goodbye, your restaurant now open for lunch. I understand you're kicking, and I was perusing the menu the other day. A Tony Bennett ribeye? A Tony As Bennett ribeye <laughs> and Terry Holland meatloaf. And we, we're going to change it up a little bit come the fall. We're going to have some other coaches, you know, other 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 coaches at UVA, different specialty items. But we wanted those to be the two iconic to start for sure. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be fair to ask for a, a Big Mac hamburger there. So we'll just yeah. we'll just we'll, well let Big that Mac go. Is McDonald's. It's McDonald's. So we're good. I know we'll let that go. Hey, Stick, have a good week. This has been fun and uh, enjoy the basketball. And hey, we'll do it again next week. I promise. Absolutely. Thanks. This is Center Court on the Winter Circle Network. He's Ralph Sampson. I'm Mac McDonald. Have a good week. You've been listening to Center Court with Hall of Fame basketball player Ralph Sampson. Our podcast is available on the Believe Network at BLEAV.com. Center Court is presented by the Winter Circle Network and the Sampson Family Foundation. For more information, log on to SampsonFamilyFoundation.org. Uplift. Empower. Educate. Teamwork makes the dream work. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.